So, Rachel. Yeah? We're jumping into the second part of the first episode of Deep Space Nine, The Emissary. Do you remember what happened in the first part? (laughs) Well, thankfully, I've listened to our previous episode yesterday. (laughs) That helped a lot. With some explanation, we've been on holiday. Yeah, so it's two, three weeks between watching part one and part two of the emissary yes and creating these shows we've been gradually introduced to all of the characters of deep space nine cisco has been called forth to be the emissary with these orbs if you mm-hmm. can and where we left it what's his name with the smooth ears odo was morphing and sneaking onto the cardassian ship i want to say what was he yeah doing? yes yes they wanted to go explore where they thought the wormhole was going to be but they wanted to sabotage let's jump in <laughs> Star Trek! Approaching grid perimeter. Slowing to one quarter impulse. Computer, give me visual bearing 23 mark 217. Range 3100 kilometers. Sensors are picking up unusually high proton counts. Setting a new course to those coordinates. All external wave intensities are increasing rapidly, but checking, confirmed, there is no corresponding increase inside the cabin. How is that possible? Sensors are not functioning. We've lost all contact with the space station. Welcome to Rachel Watches Star Trek. I'm Rachel Lackey. I'm Chris Lackey. I'm pleased to meet you if you're new. <laughs> and I'm happy to see you again if you're old. Yes. Or, or to just us. to us. Yeah. If you've been in our little family here of uh-huh. Star Trek enthusiasts and Rachel enthusiasts, because <laughs> that's what it requires to be a member of this family. Yeah. I love uh, that Venn diagram. <laughs> Whereas we left off, Cisco and Dax searched the region she identified in her research. An energy vortex opens up before them, swallowing the runabout, and they disappear. Whoa. They travel down this bizarre energy tunnel with all these swirling lights, and then they're spat out of the vortex into another part of space. Oh, it's so dangerous. They're so brave. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> I don't know if they necessarily meant to do that. Oh, okay. <laughs> uh, they are in the Gamma Quadrant, which is 70,000 light years from Bajor. Whoa. So it would take the Federation's fastest ship almost 70 years to cross that distance. Oh, no. Yeah. They have discovered the first stable wormhole ever known. Because it's obviously been used in the past. Yeah, well, they think so, yeah. For, for millennia. And uh, where are they going to find the other seven of the Deep Space Nine <laughs> if we're going to start the show here? <laughs> Shame we'll never see the other ones again. They reverse course and the wormhole opens, but within it, they land with a bump. The view screen just shows whiteness outside, but the sensors detect a breathable atmosphere in the wormhole. Mm. None of this should be possible, obviously. Yeah. What are they going to do? Go out and find out what's going on? That's so scary. Of course. That's so dangerous. Leaving the runabout to explore. By the way, what's the difference between a runabout and a shuttle? Oh, it's just bigger. It's got like its own transporter system. It's got like a little room back there. Mm -hmm. It's got better weapons. I think it can travel further. It's better warp speed. Probably got a kettle. Yes. Toilet. Definitely has kettle. Dax sees a beautiful garden out there. Cisco though sees a barren, rocky, storm-struck landscape. Why? Mm. 
They're drawing stuff from their minds. What I, does this say about these characters? Dax is, you know, into beauty and nice <laughs> things and in kind of in a good place. Yeah, looking at the world with wonder and curiosity. And Cisco's looking at it as if it's a barren rock of yeah. his desolation. Soul, his soul has been torched. An orb floats nearby, scanning them in a sexy way. <laughs> <laughs> well, it scans her torso in a sexy way. <laughs> anyway... Cisco suggests that's their way of shaking hands and then blam, they're struck by green bolts and thrown to the ground. Oh, that's not a very nice no. welcome, is it? No. Dax is enveloped by an orb and floats off and then the ground cracks around Cisco and splinters and everything is white. Now you say orb, they say orb, but it's hourglass shaped. Yeah, that ain't no orb. That's not an orb, is it? Mm. I thought an orb was spherical. The orb emerges out of the wormhole and O'Brien beams it aboard. The orb turns into Dax. It's just in an orb is a spherical object or shape. Yeah, so it's not spherical Duh. at all. Yeah. Why do they call it an orb? Back in the wormhole, Cisco is in a white void with quick cuts of his memories. His wife Jennifer on the beach, a baseball being caught, Kai Opaka, uh, Locutus. Again, Cisco asks, Who are you? And Jennifer, lying on the beach, peers over her sunglasses and says, It's corporeal, a physical entity. This is so weird. So they're communicating with him, presumably aliens are. Yeah. Through. The people of his memories. Through his memories. Yeah. Which is kind of an interesting, cool way. I've never seen anything like this before. Yes. Because yeah. it's all quick cuts and it's all to different locations. Mm, so as... Cuts back to his... It's just happening in his mind. You just see his eyes moving, really. You can see him in the white void, but then he's in his memories with them. And sometimes he can see himself in his memories. He's like mm, outside of himself. True. It's really neat. It's really weird. But Picard appears and says uh, it communicates with visual and audio stimuli. It uses linguistic communication. Cisco asks, how are you capable of communicating with me? And then they ask, what are you? Confused by where Earth is or what Earth is. Jake looks puzzled. Now we see him as Jake, his son. Yeah. And he goes, what is time? Oh, this is going to go on so much. What is tears? What are farts? <laughs> it, just so much of what is, what is, what is. So, yeah, haven't they been kicking around for a really long time and seen millennia of species come through this wormhole? Yeah, and they're nonlinear beings, which I'm going to get into in concepts, which I don't mm. think this depicts nonlinear beings very well. Oh, okay. Because they've got sentences that start and finish. Yeah. <laughs> Sure. They seem to know something at one point and then not know it oh, the next right. point. Yeah, or, so they're accruing knowledge. Yeah, they are definitely accruing something. Right. So it doesn't quite make sense, but we'll talk about that again. Meanwhile, in Ops, O'Brien announces the Cardassians are underway for the Denorius Belt. Kira asks O'Brien what it would take to move the station to the mouth of the wormhole. Gosh, I didn't even know they could do that. With six working thrusters, it'll take about two months. Oh, my goodness. But Kira wants it now. It's got to be claimed by the Bajorans. Yes. Yeah. It's the most important binding. Dax and O'Brien juggle some techno babble mm. about using a subspace field to lower the station's inertial mass so it can move much faster. I just noticed myself respecting the actress for being able to memorize those lights <laughs> and deliver them so naturally. And they need the Enterprise to come back and assist. Didn't know you could just call them up, but then again. It's a pretty important thing, and I think yeah. they would be willing to come back because they just left. I guess it just makes me realize what reverence I have for Picard. Like, how dare they tell him what to do? <laughs> Yeah, I get it. <laughs> Kira tells Dax to come with her. You two, Doc, time to be a hero. Yeah, because remember, Bashir's got this idea of his adventure. He was, he came out to the frontier. Right, and she was a bit cheesed off with that, him belittling. Yes, there. 
And oh, she's shit. now like, well, time to prove it, buddy. Mm, you better. And he's very cheerful about it. Yeah. Odo's coming too, because he doesn't know where he came from or if there are others like him. Data style. And the answer to those questions may lie through the wormhole. Back in the wormhole, Cisco's still struggling to communicate with the aliens, and we get this. The creature must be destroyed before it destroys us. It is malevolent. Aggressive. Adversarial. It must be destroyed. I am not your enemy. I was sent here by the people you contacted. Contacted? With your devices, your orbs. We seek contact with other life forms, not corporeal creatures who annihilate us. I have not come to annihilate anyone. Destroy it now. My species respects life above all else. Can you say the same? I do not understand the threat that I bring to you. But I am not your enemy. Allow me to prove it. Hmm, okay, so they're scanning all of his memories and seeing that there is battle and conflict within them. Yeah. Deciding that he's a threat, even though obviously they've com got complete control over him. How is he a threat at one point and then not a threat after information is shared? That seemed very <laughs> linear to me. <laughs> and why are they so dumb? <laughs> Why don't they just read a book? <laughs> don't they go anywhere? Uh, they say travel broadens the mind. Yeah, you well. get out your wormhole once in a while. Now, <laughs> or maybe they're like a tribe. They don't want to go other places, but if someone comes to them, oh, right, they're going to yeah. tie them up and find out what they're about. Yeah. Yeah. That's how it works. That's how it works. You got it now. Now, on the station, O'Brien is arguing with the computer to get it to override safety protocols to allow his plan to work. In the end, he has to manually complete the procedure, but is successful in getting Deep Space Nine on the move. Well, he's already proven himself worthy, isn't he, from this transfer? So, yeah. well done. He's doing. We're showing that he knows what he's doing and he's got the goods. Aboard the runabout, Kira tries to reason with Gold Ducat. Oh, who, good luck. Yeah. Who is going for the wormhole as well. Now, she says, look, they had a hostile reception. There are aliens inside this wormhole. It's not going to be cool. And he goes, <laughs> yeah, right. You're <laughs> yeah. just trying to get in a good deal with these aliens. So I'm going to go in there and check it out for myself. Oh, that's a like, great trope. I like that one, though. When they won the baddie and they still do it anyway. And then yeah. they get their comeuppance. Yes. Cisco and the wormhole alien in Jennifer's form are talking on the beach. The alien notes that she is part of his existence, but Cisco explains that he lost her some time ago and the concept of loss is inconceivable to the aliens. It cannot believe Cisco exists in such a manner. He still remembers people who no longer exist. That's possible to lose. Yeah, it's anyone. possible to lose anything, but then if you're a nonlinear being, then your whole existence would be at one point. He tries to explain happiness and pleasure, but he finds himself uh, back into that burning corridor where he found his wife's dead body. Aww. How are they or he or something controlling what memories come up? I think that's the revelation with this episode. It's mm. Cisco. Cisco keeps coming back to this place. Cisco says this is the day he lost Jennifer and it's difficult to be here. The alien is puzzled. Then why do you exist here? Yeah. Oh, it's not even that simple. Yeah. Meanwhile, the Cardassians have entered the wormhole and ruined it for everyone. It blinks out of existence with Cisco still inside. Yeah. The wormhole aliens tell Cisco they've terminated it. Every time a corporeal being enters, it disrupts their existence. They're not having it anymore. Mm. 
Back on the Saratoga Bridge, in Cisco's memory, one alien posits that corporeal existence is innately destructive. And we already had that. Sure feels like Just we rehashing have. that again. Taking the form of Jake, one asks, if they don't know what the outcome of their actions is going to be, how can they take responsibility for them? And Cisco explains that they use their past experiences to guide them. For him and Jennifer, their experiences helped them recognize that they could have a future together and to prepare them for all the consequences of that union, including mm -hmm. Jake. Yeah. Their son. Yeah. Cisco finds himself on a baseball field with a game in progress. And now, unfortunately, baseball <laughs> is the Deep Space Nine, but poker is the TNG. Oh, so, so we're going to be seeing a lot of this then. Get, get ready for that. <laughs> uh, the wormhole alien thinks this shows that the corporeal beings are aggressive and adversarial because of this baseball game. Cisco explains how there are hundreds of things that might or might not happen every time the ball is thrown. And if they knew the outcome, the, the game would not be worth playing. That may be the most important thing to understand about humans. We are consistently searching, not just for answers to our questions, but for new questions. We are explorers, trying to expand the boundaries of our knowledge. And that is why I am here. Not to conquer you either, with weapons or ideas, but to coexist and learn. Conquer you with weapons or ideas. Mm -hmm. Which is obviously colonialism, colonialism that we've been talking about quite a bit. This is the whole raison d'etre of Star Trek, the explorers, the finding answers to questions, finding new questions. Yeah. These aliens, well, they are curious now, but presumably they haven't been curious in the past. They're just wanting to assess risk. Right. They don't go anywhere and find things out. They're not, they don't understand the accruing of knowledge or the... And yet they are accruing knowledge right they now. Are. Hmm. So it's very inconsistent. It's confusing. Cisco is back on the Saratoga again, leaning over Jennifer's body. If this is all true, the aliens ask, then why do you exist here? Why mm. are you stuck in this memory? Why is this the defining moment of your life? Yeah, they're just confused about it. Are they trying to get him to have a breakthrough? I don't know. I don't think so. <laughs> no. They seem just, benevolent, but I think, I think they just really don't understand what's going on with him. Yeah, they keep persisting and eventually it's going to mean something to him. Deep Space Nine has meanwhile arrived at the wormhole to find three more Cardassian warships on their way looking for Dukat and accusing Kira by Skype of destroying Dukat's ship. Oh dear. They demand the station be surrendered to them and give them one hour to make preparations. The Enterprise is still 20 hours away. Kira asks O'Brien if he agrees surrender is not an option and of course we know from the wounded in TNG that he fought in the Cardassian war. He simply responds, you know what they do to prisoners, sir. <laughs> that sounded like a pirate. <laughs> Cisco is still in the burning wreck of his quarters on the Saratoga and is feeling the strain of being forced to repeatedly revisit his wife's death. And we get this. What is the point of bringing him back again to this? We do not bring you here. You bring us here. You exist here. Then give me the power to lead you somewhere else. Anywhere else. We cannot give you what you deny yourself. Look for solutions from within, Commander. I was ready to die with her. Die? What is this? The termination of their linear existence. Got to go now, sir! Damn it! We just can't leave her here! Oh! Oh no! I never left this ship. You exist here. 
I exist here. I don't know if you can understand. I see her like this. Every time I close my eyes, in the darkness, in the blink of an eye, I see her like this. None of your past experiences help prepare you for this consequence. And I have never figured out how to live without her. So you choose to exist here. It is not linear. No. It's not linear. Oh, this was really moving, actually. Yeah, I thought so. Poor fella. So it seems that he's now accepting, grieving yeah. her death, feeling it or something for the first time, really, yeah. allowing himself to. Yeah, that's right. Being forced to, really, being re-traumatized again and again until he's like, uh, yeah, okay, yeah. it's not linear, I'm still there. It still hurts as much as it did then. Yeah. Time's up on the station. The Cardassians are calling for an answer. Kira tells O'Brien their answer is to fire six warning torpedoes across their bow. O'Brien says that's all they have. Yes, says Kira, but the Cardassians don't know that. Mmm, sneaky. It's a bold move. And a bit of poker, apparently baseball. Can you do, can you? <laughs> you can't do that. <laughs> bluffing baseball. baseball. No, you can't bluff a baseball. Uh, Jassad immediately hails the station and Kira pulls a monumental bluff. They didn't think that Starfleet would leave the station defenseless, did they? A Starfleet commander might agree that this is a hopeless fight, but she's Bajoran and she's been finding a hopeless cause her entire life. Yes! So come get some. <laughs> the Cardassian captain looks uneasy and cuts the calm. On the Cardassian ship, they have penetrated Deep Space Nine's shield and somehow O'Brien's made it look like they've got 5,000 photon torpedoes and integrated phaser banks on all levels. I must say, O'Brien, well done. That's good. That's very good. He's pulling out all the stops. Why did they have O'Brien just run the transporters? He's like totally awesome. He's this amazing engineer, but we'll just have him. Push a button up and down, <laughs> sorely underused. Although you can easily kill someone if you do that wrong, I That's suppose. True. Yeah, yeah. Hmm. The Cardassians still call their bluff, even in spite mm. of all this, mm -hmm. firing and causing a fuel conduit to rupture on the promenade, injuring civilians. O'Brien overloads the phasers to send a powerful blast to the Cardassian ship, damaging it. He's still on it. Yeah. He's doing even more. He's doing it. Kira's about to signal to the Cardassian ship that they're surrendering when the wormhole reopens. Kira hails Jassad. There's your evidence of a wormhole, you dumb butthole. <laughs> Face! <laughs> See? Cisco's runabout emerges, towing Ducat's ship behind it. Ducat signals the Cardassian ships to stand down as Cisco comes into the dock. Oh, how humiliating. Oh, <laughs> just save their bacon. Yep. As they enter the station, Cisco finds the injured being treated by Bashir and others. The doctor confirms there are injuries, but no fatalities. He spots Jake in the crowd and he calls to him, and there's a massive grin, and then they give a big father son hug. Nice. Cisco's station log tells us that the wormhole aliens have agreed to allow safe passage for all ships traveling to the Gamma Quadrant, and the Cardassians have made themselves scarce now that the Enterprise has arrived. Oh, I should think so, too. Yeah. Get out of here, you guys. Picard comes to see Cisco in his office, seeing their warship being rescued by a Federation runabout. <laughs> yeah, of course, it was a runabout, too. Yeah. Took the wind out of the Cardassian sails. But Cisco is sure they'll be back. Of course they will. Apparently, oh. that's the whole point of this series. Yeah. 
They're never not going to be back for seasons. The no Cardassians are, are constant thorn in the side of Deep Space Nine. Well, they better be a good one. I want some variety of naughtiness, please. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Picard notes that Cisco has certainly put Bajor on the map. This is now one of the most important posts in Starfleet. Everyone's going to want to come here now, aren't they? Do anything, get anything, go anywhere. Well, not anywhere, but they can go to the Gamma Quadrant, <laughs> right, which yeah. is 70,000 light years away. And we don't know yet what's there no. for the taking. Mm. Shouldn't be taking things. Cisco <laughs> asks him to ignore his previous request for reassignment. Oh, now he's changed his mind. Yeah. The two men shake, and Picard wishes him good luck. And then they kiss. Oh, so nice. <laughs> A real warm handover. <laughs> <laughs> And then we get our closing scene on the promenade. So, where can someone practice with his face around here? No rules. You can't cheat every customer who walks through the door anymore, Quark. You are a community leader now. Very well, very well. Perhaps we could discuss these new rules over a drink. If you don't take that hand off my hip, You'll never be able to raise a glass with it again. Oh, I love a woman in uniform. A community leader, my goodness. Yeah. (laughs) That's kind of close to one of my guesses for him, I think. Yeah, kind of. Yeah. Yeah, I I don't think he did too bad, really. (laughs) Consider that. Only pictures to go on and costume in. Well, let's just get into concepts. Let's do it. I think it's a neat idea, speaking of Quark, being a 'er Mm ne'er-do-well, and he's put in this position where he has to be a community leader. Yeah. 'er Ne'er-do-wells will be 'er ne'er-do-welling, but he's also got this added responsibility, so it's going to hopefully kind of make him into a better person. Mm, Let's hope so. And that might be his arc. I don't know. This is one of the great injustices of school, where the naughty kid gets an elevated position to try and inspire them to... uh, Improve. Like, hey, I've been sitting here not talking during lessons, going and getting my stuff when I'm supposed to, and I don't get diddly squat. Yeah, it's an unfortunate life lesson that the squeaky wheel gets oiled. (laughs) That's right. And they need the oil more, don't they? They're struggling. (laughs) Whatever. (laughs) Whatever, from a kid's perspective. It ain't fair. So that's a lot to take in for concepts. Yeah. On top of the Bajoran Federation Cardassian hate triangle, (laughs) <laughs> which we're going to enjoy for all time. Yeah. There's a bunch of crazy orbs. They're mm-hmm. not even orb-shaped. And the wormhole. Wow. We've also had an alien species with no concept of time thrown in there. So now I've got to get my head around space and time. No. That's too much. Too much work for you. No past, no present, no future. Never in uncertainty. No concept of acting based on past experience with unknown outcomes. Mm-hmm. They were getting their minds blown. I'm now I'm getting my mind blown. There you go. No sense of birth or death either. And so they challenge Cisco that if he's stuck in grief and trauma, time is not linear. So it's therapy stuff again. <laughs> Often with clients, I'll do a timeline of the significant events and relationships of their life, and then trying to draw arrows between them, mm-hmm. linking them from the present to the past, from parts of the past to other parts of the past. Always these connections going back and forth. Never just moving forward, is it? No. I'm not sure how they did with the non-linear life form. It doesn't feel right to me. The whole idea that it doesn't understand concepts and then gets an explanation and then now understands concepts (laughs) doesn't make any sense at all. What would be better if they were more like parrots? 
Well, <laughs> they just keep asking the same question. They haven't learned anything. <laughs> <laughs> no, but it would just be their whole existence would be in one point. So oh my gosh. they already knew the thing that they were going to learn mm -hmm. because they already knew it. I, I think the best example of a nonlinear being was in Alan Moore's Watchmen. Dr. Manhattan knew the future and the past. Yeah. I, he, so he would say and do things, but he always knew he was going to say that thing and do that thing. We had all of time already available to him. So, Well, yeah, up to a, a point, which was his end. Hmm. And I think that these creatures do not seem linear at all. They do learn things. They do figure things out. Mm. I get that what they're trying, but it doesn't quite work for me. If they're going to have loads of interactions with aliens now, they should have all of that knowledge. Yeah. Already. Yeah. They should mm. just know there's no future, no past. They are what they are. Beginning and end at the same point. Mm. Always. Gosh, heck. Can you draw a little diagram for yeah, this? There you, you go. It's a dot. <laughs> it's a dot. <laughs> That's too small to fit all that in it. There you go. We <laughs> also have a shape-shifting life form who doesn't know what he is or where he comes from. Yeah. So that's kind of an interesting idea. Hmm. The Dax symbiote was not really a new idea for Star Trek because we had a whole episode and characters in this before. Yeah. But we're going to kind of deep dive into that and what that means to have memories of previous lives and mm. how that affects the person that's holding the symbiote. Yeah. And, and how those their memories will mix. Dax could probably help Cisco out with some of this past trauma stuff. Maybe. Maybe. Or help Won't. each other. But won't. won't. No. Definitely. Oh, wow. Okay. Uh, <laughs> no, because they're going to have to deal with space stuff and, you know, aliens coming in doing wacky things and they got to solve problems. And, you know, yeah. this, these things aren't going to come up as much as I think they should. Oh. Have. We're going to have a counselor, though. They don't have a counselor. Oh, they don't have a counselor. No, they don't have a counselor. <laughs> All right. I I'm always forget when I watch Deep Space Nine how attractive Terry Farrell is. Do you, though? Dax. Gosh. I see her again and I go, oh my God, she's. Gorgeous. Wow. Why does she why is she so forgettable? No, I just you know, I've got a, I live with you, so I see oh, you. There you go. And I'm like, oh, she's the most beautiful woman in the world. And mm. then I see Terry Farrell, I go, Oh wow, she's really good looking too. <laughs> just wait till I get that tattoo. <laughs> well, I'll be so confused. <laughs> uh, Rick Bourbon and Michael Pillar deliberately ramped up the conflict right from the start in this pilot, building upon conflict which has already been set up in TNG between the Cardassians and the Bajorans and between the Bajorans and the Federation. The latter led them to giving the Bajorans a, a highly religious belief system rather than sharing the Federation's more humanist perspective. And I think that, mm. that's an interesting conflict. Yeah, so they can fall out over that. It's a little weird because their religion is based on science. They oh. worship the <laughs> they prophets. They really do have those orbs. Those, Yeah, those orbs are real. Mm. And they make you see crazy stuff. And I mean, obviously they take the leap to make those prophets some kind of gods. How real do we know that it all is? What if they're just tripping off their tits on <laughs> hallucinogens? <laughs> I'm sure there's some Bajorans that think that that's the case. All right, yeah. You know, but we don't get into that. And obviously, it's a 40-minute show. The two writers definitely drew inspiration from TNG's pilot, wanting Emissary to have the philosophical ambition that the Encounter at Farpoint script had and that Star Trek represents. And this inspired Cisco's interactions with the wormhole aliens. They also utilized the same manner of introducing new characters gradually, uh, having them arrive one or two at a time mm -hmm. rather than everybody already being present. Yeah, I like that. That was good. Gives me a chance to keep up. Yeah, gee whiz. Gee whiz. <laughs> the pilot in progress had to undergo a bit of a rewrite when Michelle Forbes declined to take on the role of Ensign Rowe. Pillar recalled this had an immediate advantage to the inter-character conflict. As a non-Starfleet officer, unlike Roe, Kira did not have to follow Cisco's orders. 
Mm-hmm. You have different priorities and agendas, and the two people immediately have a conflict with each other the moment they step onto the station from Captain's Logs. Yeah, yeah okay, I can yeah, see how that absolutely see it. allows them to do more drama anyway. As much as I love Michelle Forbes, mm-hmm. this does make for better story. The original draft had Cisco arriving to a thriving, busy promenade. Pillar found himself unhappy with the first hour of the pilot. Wow. That's a lot. Yeah. Says it just lay there. It was flat and talky. It was all about introducing the characters and showing off engineering and the promenade, which looked like the Beverly Center. <laughs> it had no drama at all. Pillar realized there was nothing for Cisco to struggle against or show how he's a hero. By changing it to a wrecked and malfunctioning station, it threw Cisco into a situation where he had to step up and rebuild and drove the plot forward. As Pillar put it, there's no drama in a man coming to the space station and decided to stay. <laughs> <laughs> I can't do his accent. You sound just like it. Of uh, course, yeah. That's perfect. Just for those of you that never lived in Los Angeles, the Beverly Center is a fancy mall. In fact, one time I was there at night after a movie walking out. I saw Justin Timberlake and Britney Spears walking arm in arm with Ooh. each other. So, And they weren't like surrounded by anybody. There was no. nobody seemed to care that it was that they were there. That gives you an idea. Yeah, did you join join in with them? Which one of them did you take their arm? It was Brittany. Yeah. Brittany. She, oh, yeah, she yeah. wanted She wanted guys. a sandwich. Yeah, yeah, she wanted the sandwich. <laughs> I wanted to be the sandwich, but they just wouldn't go for it. <laughs> oh, they wouldn't let you in between. No. No. <laughs> At that point, I guess the relationship was going pretty well. I guess so. The casting director sent the script to Avery Brooks while he was on vacation in the Caribbean, and he loved it. <laughs> The plot was about a man trying oh, to find peace in the face this. of personal loss. I was I was moved by the deep beauty and complexity of the story. <laughs> he also approved of having a black man as the lead character. And, and well, obviously, yeah. that's a big deal. Yes. I was looking around the cast at one point and thinking, it's a bit white, this show. And then I remembered... The captain and his family are black, so, yeah. you know, that's something, isn't it? That's, uh, yeah, this, <laughs> this was a landmark event. Uh, it says here, the strength of the pilot emissary in which a single human being must defend all the universe was especially appealing, he commented. That the human being being selected as a person of color says a lot about the spirit of the entire series and gives hope to children of all races that they can affect positive change. Nice. So for concepts, it would be really stingy of me to give it anything less than nine and a half. Nine and a half. I would have thought. I remember I, I docked it earlier, something, but I can't remember why. The non-literary aliens. I'll give it a nine, because uh, you've made me see that those aliens don't make sense. <laughs> what are armpits? Oh, Come yeah. on. If you're communicating with, you know what the thing is, especially right. if you're a non-linear being. Yeah. So then they'd have to go, psych, I already knew what armpits were. <laughs> I know everything. <laughs> Tell me about yourself. I already know it. Psych. Yeah. What kind of conversation would that be? It would not be fun. <laughs> I'm going to give it an eight. Okay. Entertainment. I enjoyed the acting, mm-hmm. especially like Jake. He's got a lovely natural sense to him, hasn't mm-hmm. he? Uh, like Dax a lot as well. Cisco's wife, Jennifer. Bit wooden, but maybe that was just more the second half where she was being... An alien. Yeah. Sure. Bit disappointed to see Cisco get normal with his acting as it went along. <laughs> <laughs> but um, very powerful crying scene. Yeah. Towards the end with his realization of time's not linear. There was a very big section of time what is this what are knees tedium <laughs> what is this yeah because you couldn't be bored if oh you would be bored i'd be bored if i knew everything and time was just one dot would i no you would, it's crazy. <laughs> i don't know tedious to the point of laughable yeah sadly that part 
the whole section of him having it all going on in his mind in the wormhole and, and then all the voices of however many aliens being embodied by characters we've already seen was so weird. I thought it was cool. It was cool. And, but it went and on too long. It went on way too long. It was cool in that it was innovative yeah. and well presented, but I didn't find it interesting. Got it. I wouldn't watch another episode, but then you know me. Yeah. But I am going to, Yeah. <laughs> obviously. You have to. I did appreciate the gradual introduction of characters. I can't say there's any that I'm really invested in yet, but it's a tall order. Oh, my God. When you've got so many. Of course, future episodes and later seasons are going to build on the foundation laid here today. I uh, found myself really liking Kira more this time around. Mm -hmm. I thought she really is one of those standout characters. She's definitely more passionate, angry rather than standoffish and passive aggressive. Oh, yeah. She's very active and has a strong point of view that she is going to see through. Great stuff with, yeah. with her. All right. Uh, the pilot <laughs> episode was extremely expensive. Production designer Herman Zimmerman commented on the set construction budget. We spent more money on Deep Space Nine's pilot than we were allowed to spend on Star Trek VI. What? <laughs> wow. The total budget was in the region of $12 million, What? Of which U.S. $2 million was used on the sets, making it one of the most expensive TV pilots ever produced. Wow. A good chunk of this also went to special effects, with 250 special effects shots going on in this episode. Twelve million just yeah. for a pilot. Oh my goodness. The thing with the TV show, though, is you can reuse all those sets yeah. over and over and over again. Yeah, so at least that's two million yeah. invested. Mm -hmm. uh, Twenty-four minutes of footage was cut from the episode. Wow. Oh, come on, guys. She was a uh, many from the opening sequence with the U.S. Saratoga. That is such a waste. Yeah. What were they playing at? Surely they knew how long they were supposed to run for when they wrote it. Or is this just part of the process? You see what you've got and then take some away. Yeah. But the tune of up to 12 million. Yeah. I think sometimes when productions get big and there's money involved, the producers can go, well, you know what? Let's just shoot stuff and we'll figure it out later. Wow. Whereas when you are a struggling filmmaker <laughs> and your budget is really important, you... You better storyboard that you stuff. You better storyboard it. You get it locked down. <laughs> you know exactly life. what you're going to do before yeah. you put anything on camera. Wow. Quark fans may notice his appearance is a little off. Armin Shiverman's prosthetic nose wasn't ready for filming uh, on the pilot, so he had to wear the nose made for Max Grodenchik, oh. who, who plays another Ferengi. That's a bit sloppy, isn't it? Yeah. There's too much going on with that design. With the nose having all those little rivulets in it, as well as the ears and the teeth, it's just too much. He's alien. You gotta. <laughs> somebody's different looking. You know? Oh, now I feel bad. <laughs> <laughs> I'm telling you, Quark, you will warm up to him. All right. You really will. The episode fared very well with audiences. It scored 18.8% of the syndicated television market, making it one of the most watched TV episodes in syndicated television history. Oh, okay. Davy Club's Zach Handelin thought that while this episode suffered from a lot of flaws of a pilot, of all the Trek pilots I've seen, Deep Space Nine is the most rife with possibility. The setting is unusual, the cast is strong, and the conflicts are there. I agree. Ambitious, sure. Yeah. Tor.com scored it Warp Factor 6 out of 10. This story does set the show up well, even if the actual plot leaves a bit to be desired. Keith particularly called out the inter-character conflict. After the idealized humans of TNG, it's a refreshing change to have characters with a bit more acid in them. Do you like it having more? Obviously you don't. You prefer TNG's no, comfortable family I, I like, atmosphere. Yes, I do like TNG. But as a pilot, Encounter at Farpoint is poo. <laughs> well, <laughs> Rafe can bad. tell us the scores. And this is, mm. this is not. This is definitely solid. 
Mm. So they're starting off at a higher point than TNG did. But in terms of the characters having more acid in them, uh, so that's not necessarily what you're looking for, is no, it? No. Although but, you do like Kira. But guess what? I get what I need from TNG. <laughs> so I give me some more track. I want different track. Don't give me more of the same. Well, yeah, I guess so. So a massive, ambitious undertaking. I don't envy them having to plot all of this out and produce it. My mm. goodness, how on earth do they do that kind of thing? There's just Crazy. a ton of people. It's not that hard. It's not that hard. <laughs> but all of the decisions you could make, all the aliens you could have, all of the yeah. ways that you could begin the story. Yeah. How do you hone it down? Well done. You just, you just commit. At all. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't enjoy it, though. I didn't feel invested. No. It doesn't help that it was so long and we have to start from scratch with every character yeah. and, and setting. They all did a good job. I'll just have to see how it pays off later. Okay. I'm going to give it a five for entertainment. Oh, wow. It's solid for a beginning episode, but it still has a lot of those hurdles that a beginning episode has. But I'll give it a six. Okay. Sexiness. Uniforms tailored within an inch of their lives, especially Kira's very form-fitting. Mm. I bet you liked that. <laughs> Not sure about the bolero jacket. It did bother me, though, that O'Brien had his sleeves rolled up. I'll get used to that. Oh, no. They're always rolled up. Oh, are they? Because he's getting to work. Yeah, but the uniform would be designed so that you wouldn't need to roll your sleeves up to... Yeah. To work and it just, I don't know, it, just, it actually makes my skin crawl. Gee it, whiz. I know, I don't know why. That's a strange reaction. I know. You need to go to therapy about that. Okay, well. <laughs> <laughs> Is he just doing something wrong or he's spoiling the line of it? Yeah. He's, he's only trying to customize it. It's not his fault. He's being kind of 80s with it, rolling up his jacket sleeves, but I, I can't have it. I'll try and do some desensitization. <laughs> Dax is gorgeous. Uh -huh. Bashir is quite charming so yeah. far. I'm not really pashing on anybody yet. Wife in a bikini gets kind of wiped out by dead wife. <laughs> so <laughs> I'll give it a 2.5. I could see that. Um, I'm afraid that the show is going to have a resting 3.0 sexiness because mm -hmm. of Terry Farrell slash Dax. <laughs> She just gets more charming as the show goes on. So. Might, might rise in that way. Yeah, just watch out. So three. <laughs> watch out. Three for me. Okay. Stupid experts. No idea. There's a lot to keep track of. Brave experts, definitely. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Cisco has a son, though. He shouldn't be messing around going in wormholes so no. willy-nilly. No, but maybe so. that's part of what's going on with him and his grief is that mm. he is taking risks that he shouldn't be taking. Yeah, mm. that's not great, is it? So I don't know. Are there stupid expert nah. issues here? Let's just, if we can't think of it, if it didn't stand yep. out to us, I say zero. They're all doing the best they can. The aliens are stupid because they shouldn't be asking those questions unless it was just to try and build up some rapport. Well, then they're just <laughs> linear aliens. That's all. They say, I'm nonlinear. Like, you You're just immortal. That's yeah, all you are. come on. So zero, I guess. Mm -hmm. Guesses. I said we'd have some meetings with aliens, not in meeting rooms, but on screen, if that counts. True. Some quark shenanigans. The stuff with Nog, his nephew. Mm. Yeah, That he right. might have been involved in. Yeah, come on. Let's he give, was. give me a point for that. People walking and talking. Yes. yes. That they can send shuttles through the wormhole. Yes. Yeah. To meet new aliens. Yes. But should they? Yes. Yes. <laughs> sure. And I said nine go through and now they're the deep space nine. <laughs> no, apparently not. <laughs> Why call it that then? <laughs> Yeah, uh, I think they, I think they called it that because there are eight other deep space stations. It's just misleading. And this is the ninth one. I thought it was a political commentary about a group that <laughs> needed justice. 
We are the Deep Space Nine. I want to thank our patrons. I want to thank Richard, especially. Ah, uh, yeah, Captain Richard. Well, thank you so much. And, of course, our producer, Ray Fall, who helps us put this crazy ship together. He's down there in engineering just making this ship go. God bless him. Gosh, those consoles and engineering are on fire. They're not on fire, Ray. He would never let that happen. But, you know, they're steaming yes. with the amount of work he's doing. He's out of control. Thank you, Rafe. <laughs> Welcome to some new ensigns. Come Emily McCoy. Jeremy Morris and Alison Nettles. Oh, great. Uh, hopefully you're enjoying the show and you will continue and enjoy the show with us as we delve into Deep Space Nine. But next week, we're going back to the past with Strange New World. Strange New World. Yes, welcome to the crew. We just need six more of you to make it a Deep Space Nine. So join now. <laughs> <laughs> we can finally make this concept work for oh, me. Oh, there you go. <laughs> Lieutenant Brian Leet is now Lieutenant Commander Brian Leet. Congratulations. Wow. Thank you. And we've had a few people returning to us after a short break as well. So thank you so much for being back. We're so glad you're here. Yeah. Thank you all. And we'll see you next time for Strange New Worlds. With that, I'm Chris Lanky. And I'm Rachel Lackey. And you've been listening to... Rachel Watches Star Trek. Star Trek!